Welcome to Beyond the Game, Wealth Mastery for Athletes. I'm your host, Chris Benson, joined by nine-year NFL vet, Alec Ogletree. Beyond the Game is a podcast where we will provide a playbook for financial growth, both on and off the field. Join us each week as we have an in-depth conversation with other professional athletes who've mastered the art of wealth creation. They're going to share their triumphs, setbacks, and maybe some lessons learned so you don't make the same mistakes. Join us. We think you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to Beyond the Game. Today we had NFL legend Ronnie Brown. Do you remember when they brought the Wildcat to the NFL? Ronnie Brown was the first guy to do it. NFL has evolved a ton since that. Uh, He had an incredible story. Ronnie has pivoted from a first-round draft pick, second overall pick. He is now a financial advisor here in the Georgia area. And to hear his story about how he went from focus on football to focusing on the business of self was incredible. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Stick with us. What's up, everybody? Welcome to uh, Beyond the Game. Um, I'm Alec Ogletree with my host, Chris Benson. We got a special guest here today, uh, Mr. Ronnie Brown, um, Georgia Hall of Fame, High School Hall of Fame, and, you know, future NFL Hall of Fame here, uh, hopefully soon. And, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Wildcat Man himself. And the best dressed <laughs> guest we've had. Hey, best dress. Alec and I are wearing hoodies. We're going to have to step our game up if guys are showing up in suits. Yeah. Nah, man. I feel underdressed. Nah, Get bling on the watch, suit. It's tough. Just... It was I had to I had to work today and then parent teacher conferences. So yeah, mm. I get There's it. a reason. I'm jealous. I'd rather switch. Well, I appreciate you joining us. No, thank you guys for sharing your platform. I Ronnie, appreciate it. When I heard you were coming on, the first thing I wanted to know is and we'll get into a little bit of your background, but the Wildcat offense to me when that started. So 2005, I, I graduated college in 2002. So I was watching the NFL fairly intently. And that was a huge shift. I want to understand how did it start? Did 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 offensive coordinator Alex said he's like, dude, they just switched to halftime one day. He's like, at halftime, somebody walked in the locker room like, we're running the Wildcat. Is now, that what happened? No, nah, man. You know, the funny thing is we had our quarterback coach that year had come from Arkansas. And so they had David, uh, what, Felix Jones and um, McFadden. Darren McFadden and mm. uh, what's the big guy now? Um fullback. Oh. Uh, so they had those three guys. So they were doing it at Arkansas. And so when he came to Miami, um, it was myself, Ricky Williams. Then we had Patrick Cobbs. And our fullback at the time was Lusaka Polite. And so obviously I think we've been chasing the ghost since Dan Marino in terms of quarterbacks. And mm-hmm. so within my six years at all, I mean, in Miami, I think we I had 10 quarterbacks or so. Wow. Um, 10? And so during that time period, it was like, Okay, we were 0-3, and we were going to New England. So before that year, he had already he had familiarity with the, you know, the Wildcat or the Razor, whatever they called it. And so they called Razorback, right? So we were in a meeting one day, and he was like, "Hey guys, I got an idea. Like, what would you think about um, if we were to imp- implement this offense?" And he was like, "Which one of you three, two, would want to be like the quarterback?" Like, man, I ain't never played quarterback on any level. Um, I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, and, and Ricky, you know, he was good at the speed sweep stuff. So, yeah. you know, it just made sense. And so I had baseball background growing up, so I felt comfortable throwing the ball. But it was really just the opportunity to play quarterback in the NFL. And so I was like, I'll do it. So Was this, does this happen like during training camp or summer? Or like this is like during the season? Yeah, toward the end of training camp. And then we put it in like it was – the goal was to kind of put it in worst case scenario. Yeah. So it never worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defense, like ever. Yeah. And so, you know, they give us flack, um, and they like, oh man, here go this thing again, this high school offense. And so, because they were putting us in worst case scenario, you never really got a true outcome. And mm-hmm. so, going into New England, it's like one, it's New England, it's Bill Belichick. We're zero and three. So, at we the end of the day, lose. it's like, what do you have to lose? Um, nobody expects you to do anything anyway. And so, when they called it. In the huddle, I'm like, wait, what? Like, um, you know, and it, it was just like, all right, just don't mess it up. Like, yeah. Don't mess up the snap. Don't fumble. Like, and so um, luckily we had success with it. And then we had more success with it. And then like, wait a minute, like New England didn't make the adjustments. Yeah. And then we had some more success with it. 
Um, and so it was fun, but the problem was we set the bar too high. Mm-hmm. So it was like, wait a minute. Like now every time we every, do this. Every defense scheme in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, it was great. But then towards the end of the year, we ran into that bus. So um, we played in the first round of the playoffs. We played the Ravens. And mm-hmm. they blitzed every time we got in there. Zero. Well, it's a wildcat check. Fun while it lasts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was good because it was, you know, an opportunity to do that. But then I'm like, it's like everything else. Like, defense is so ahead of offenses in, in the league. And guys are on that side of the ball so much more athletic that you kind of always have to, have to stay ahead of the curve and try to come up with things that, you know, are a little bit unorthodox. Like, you, Patrick Mahomes, like some of the sidearm and all the stuff. Like, wait a minute. Like, we didn't see that. And so that was one of those things. I was like, it's great, but let's just – use it as like a, a different tendency. Like people go, no huddle. Let's go that for a little bit. But the main thing still has to stay the main thing. Mm-hmm. It changed the game. I mean, to, to some extent, changed the game, right? I mean, you saw packages, offensive packages shift from that point, or at least the creativity around it seemed to shift. Yeah. That's why the, the lead, they do that. They Everybody, it's like a copycat. They call it copycat. Everybody yeah. started doing it. It's, well, if it works... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was it, cool. It worked for them. It may not work for for everybody. <laughs> they don't have Ronnie Brown back there. Yeah, you know. But I had some good teammates too, so it was cool. And we got excited about it because for me, it was in our running back room. Yeah. Like, it was a sense of pride. Yeah. It's like, man, we got three, four running backs in the game at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, and so you know, we were excited about the opportunity to do. Did that. you give it or, or hand it off on the first play? First time you ran it, I think I kept it. Kevin ran power. It was just really running power. Yeah, play, yeah. Uh, but you got the, the ball speed. right now. Yep. Yeah. I can get out here and I can, you know, dictate what the backside line yeah. is doing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty cool. cool. For sure. For cool sure. experience. <laughs> so, going back, I guess, a little bit to, you know, you growing up, you grew up here in Douglasville, Cartersville. Or Cartersville. Yeah. In Cartersville, Georgia. Football, was that the path? whole way? I mean, you said play baseball too, so yeah. football, baseball, or what What were you thinking growing up? Actually, my favorite sport was baseball. Um, it just naturally came to me. It was easy. Like, I didn't do it all the time, um, but I was a big Braves fan. My grandfather watched the Braves a lot on my father's side, and so, you know, we sit, we watch Braves games. My brother's favorite player was Terry Pendleton, um, mm-hmm. and so just watching the Braves all the way through, um, it was really cool. I didn't really watch a lot of NFL. I watched Certain guys, I had favorite players, like Barry Sanders was my favorite player um, all time. And so that was just kind of the thing. But sports was the outlet in my neighborhood and mm-hmm. community. You know, I started playing baseball at, what, five? Football was around five or six. I was the youngest of most of my cousins. And so it was just the normal thing to do. And so I really wanted to go to Florida State and play baseball growing up. Uh, I was a big Florida State fan for some reason. Um, but on the financial side of that, it was like the most logical and, you know, reasonable decision was probably taking the football route. And so I knew once football became like the the road, it was, okay, I want to be in the SEC. I want to be close to home. And so I actually committed to Tennessee before actually going to, to Auburn um, because of I was going to play baseball and football at Auburn. They were going to let you? Yeah. Did you have the shot at Auburn? Yeah, so I actually got recruited by Auburn to play baseball. And so that was the only official visit I took because before that I was doing a bunch of major league tryouts. And so it just, I had, a, I have an older cousin that's in scouting now in baseball and he was trying to talk me into doing the baseball thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, I'm just the uncertainty of it and the, the timing of it and not going to college and All taking those risks. I'm like, I don't know about this. And so I'm fairly conservative. I don't really take a lot of risk. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do this school thing. And, you know, I was mad at Georgia because Jim Dunn, they didn't recruit me you know, mm. hard enough. And so, so mm. all right. Um, you know, I Jamal Lewis was the running back, him and Travis Henry at uh, Tennessee. And I was like, man, I like the way these guys run the ball. So committed to Tennessee. And then a week before signing day, I had gone on an official visit to Auburn. And it was like, you know what, you can do both. Like my first stop was the baseball complex. And I was like, well, this is it. Yeah. Two sport. They too sport like that. They don't let they don't let a lot of people do that. Yeah, I didn't get to all. do it. They told me I could, but when I got there, oh, was, they hit you with the okie doke. They say you ain't got was, time. Um, it was it was it was it was funny, but then I got there and it's like, well, because you're on football scholarship, you yeah. have to come to all football activities prior to going to baseball. And then my freshman year, you know, we had Rudy Johnson come out of uh, JUCO, and so he was starting running back. And then the next year, my buddy Cadillac comes in, so I'm riding the bench. I'm like. I can't even get on the football field. Like, I don't really have time to mm-hmm. go to baseball. And so, mm-hmm. that was it. That was that it. Was in, uh, 
That they was forced. Good. It sounded like they forced you to make that decision. Kind of. Yeah. So that's the uh, one thing I kicked myself about. To should have brought you. To, well, Georgia should have got you, man. Georgia. Yeah. They lost. They they used to let a lot of talent lead this state, and that's one thing I always hated was you see your top guys lead the state of Georgia. I'm like, man, what's going on? Like. How does that happen? Like, yeah, I think we still do that, but it's more on the Falcon side now. Yeah, it's with, yeah, like, because oh, sure. I'm like, man, why y'all never draft any Georgia guys? Never. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, never. So maybe it's a close proximity, or you get a chance to see them too much. I don't know. Man, you know how crazy that fan base would be. Just knowing guys. you got all your like, these dudes grew up around this whole state. Like, the following would be much better to to me. They'll win a lot more games. Yes. With that, just call they, the GM. You guys have better connection than I do. I'm not gonna make any they're difference. They're gonna have they're gonna have that pride. They take pride in their state. You know, we take pride in being from here. No, like no, you said, no. Alec, Georgia's got great athletes. Seems no. like they should recruit some any sport, any sport, any sport you want to. No. So at Auburn, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, you, you mentioned Cadillac. I mean, you you had two, I guess, career defining brands, right? Was it fair? Lightning and Thunder, yeah. and and the Wildcat. I mean. Not too many guys had both the collegiate and the pro, I guess, monikers to follow them around. Because if, if you say that to anybody now who followed football in the early 2000s, like, oh, yeah, I remember Lightning Thunder. Because you were the first to do that, too. Like, there wasn't a lot of guys who were kind of sharing the load like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, now that you say it, I didn't even think about it. Like, it's, you know, and, and at the time, you know, it's just me and my buddy playing. Yeah, you know, we're sharing time and, you know, we're trying to help the team. And so, you know. Yeah, Thunder, Lightning, Cadillac, <laughs> Homer. Like, that was the thing. And then, you know, the pros, it was, you know, Ricky and myself. So, you know, Ronnie and Ricky. So, that was the whole thing. But I didn't even think about that. But it was pretty cool, you know, both of those guys' last name, Williams. Yeah. So, it was kind of like, man, I guess maybe there's a, a thing with those guys. And, you know, having the last name Williams and being able to partner up. Yeah, yeah. Man, I had a great career, for sure. So, obviously, you're playing in college, right? And... What, did you you, left, you did you graduate or you yeah, left I stayed as, and graduated. You yeah. stayed and graduated in communication, right? Mm -hmm. And uh so now but obviously the draft and stuff for the NFL is coming up. Are you at the time in college, are you thinking about like, okay, I'm gonna be a first rounder, I'm gonna be second rounder, like what? what? No, man, I got a so my junior year, I got a third round grade. Mm -hmm. And so you know that I made grew, you stay? Yeah. So growing up, like everybody's dream is just, I want to play in the NFL. Yeah. Like, I didn't say I want to be a first-round yeah. I just want the opportunity to yeah. play. And so at Auburn, given my road and even the fact that I was never the starting running back, mm -hmm. you know, Rudy was the year, that first year my when I was there. And then, you know, Cadillac comes in. He's mm -hmm. pretty much the starter throughout our career together. Um, but I graduated the second semester of my junior year. Mm -hmm. um, and so with the third-round grade, you know, we got a new coordinator, and I was like, man, what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. I don't really have, you know, to go to classes. I was debating on, you know, do I start trying to get an MBA or any of that stuff, or do I go to grad school? And then I was like, man, it's really only a semester. Mm -hmm. So what's the worst that can happen? So I sat down with the coordinator who came in at the time, and it was more, hey, man, I want to figure out how to get both of you guys in at the same time. I'm like, well, I don't really have anything to lose. Mm -hmm. I already graduated, graduated, and so— you know, if I get this opportunity, it can boost my stock. And so after that year, you know, we go undefeated that season, mm -hmm. um, which helped a lot. And then in terms of going out and working out, I was like, man, I'm going to do everything. Because yeah. I don't think people got a chance to see a lot of me in college. And yeah. so I had in the mindset of when we go to the combine, like I'm running, I'm lifting. I'm doing everything. Doing all the drills. And so it's really in my mindset, I get to put a lot of pressure on people because yeah. I think they're underestimating that fact. And yeah. so that was just kind of my thinking going into it. That's awesome, yeah. Now, I mean, like you said, you play going defeated, that helps. And then first having that mindset of like, okay, when I go to these workouts, like I'm doing everything. I don't care what they, whatever they ask me to do, I'm going to do it. I remember that joke for sure. And, yeah. Um. So you get drafted, right, to Miami, right, first off. And um, second pick, right? Yep. First round, second pick. So I don't even 
Y'all was before the the new CBA. I don't even remember <laughs> at that time. Y'all, were, what y'all was signing for? They at negotiated that time? at that point, right? Yeah, y'all could like, yeah, still negotiate. Well, it was slotted, but Alex Smith was the first pick that year. Right. Okay, right? yeah, because um, yeah. they were debating, it, and that was part of the issue. They mm-hmm. was going between Alex and Aaron Rodgers um, to see who they were going to take for the mm-hmm. first pick because Aaron. Uh, well, Alex was a little bit younger, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he was considered the more athletic guy mm-hmm. coming out of college. And so it was like, okay, who do we take uh, with the first pick? And so— Where did Rodgers go? 24. Did yeah, he drop down? Yeah. Um, and so Oops. with that whole thing, I'm like, man, I had zero idea that I was going in the, like, in the first round. Yeah. Like, and so— Oh, really? Like At the time, yeah, like my agent, he was like, hey, man— they invited you to the draft. And I'm like, I'm not going to that. Like, I'm not going to be one of those guys. Um, thinking about a guy that just had a third-round grade, I'm like, nah. Um, you didn't go? No, so then he was like, if they're inviting you, you're probably going to have a chance. Um, and then going to the combine, I was like, okay, like, it'll be a fun experience. And so my thinking in that was, man, from a small town, Cartersville, I get to take my parents, you know, my godparents and family to New York for a week. Mm. It's like, man, it's a vacation. Like, sure. never really had a chance to do any of that stuff growing up. So I'm like, if worst come to worst, it was a great experience, and I'm still getting drafted. Mm-hmm. So that's a win. And so that was really the ultimate decision maker for me. It's like, I get to go to New York for them, just kind of hang out um, and kind of see the city a little bit. And so I let him, you know, talk me into it. It's like, all right, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, and even in the draft, like, the room that day, like, I'm sitting there. Alex gets drafted. I'm looking across the table. Braylon Edwards is across there. I'm like, all right, he'll get drafted in my mind. I'm thinking I'm going to end up somewhere because I hate cold weather too. I'm going to end up cold and it's going to be a miserable <laughs> city. Um, and then by that time, you know, agent taps me. He's like, hey, man, like, it's the Dolphins. Like, yeah. they say they want to talk to you. And I'm like, what? Like, stop playing. Like, we in the, like, this is in the town to yeah, be joking yeah, yeah. and playing. And he's like, no, I'm serious. And then so hands me the phone and I'm like, wow, like it. Ronnie, would you want to be a Miami Dolphin? Absolutely. Like, what you mean? Right now, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, so it was pretty cool, man. Yeah. It, was, it was a great experience. So what you signed for? Like, what what was your contract at that time? So my signing bonus was $19 million. Ooh! $19 million. And I had left college. And it's funny, like, even now, like, just sharing with a lot of the young guys that I talked to, I left school. I had $187 in my region's Ooh. account. <laughs> and three months later. 187 to <laughs> yep. Yep. It was funny. The funny story out of that, we played in the Sugar Bowl our senior year. And so, Carnell, um, Cadillac, and then Carlos Rogers, we all rode down. Because, you know, at that time, we mm-hmm. all broke. So, mm-hmm. we put the little travel checks yeah. together and we drove to New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> those guys had a little bit of fun, and we had to put our money together to have enough gas money to get to get back from from New Orleans. Uh, and so it was just funny going from that, and then you know all of us got drafted in the first round mm-hmm. that year. So it was just kind of cool having that experience. Most definitely, most definitely. So when you coming out, did you have like a financial advisor? Did you have a? I mean, obviously you had your agent and stuff like yeah. that, but did you have somebody there that was? You know, teaching. First off, did you know like anything? I guess necessary about money in the in the absolutely sense of- not. Like I come from, you know, a small community, and just transparency. Like my parents never had any money. Yeah, you know, so they had their own you know struggles. Yeah, uh, you know, just in terms of financially, and you know, with extracurriculars in terms of abuses, um, mm-hmm. substance abuse and stuff. So. You know, not to dishonor them, but it was you know coming no, no, from that environment just- and not being used to that. Um, you know, I just was like, man, I'm just going to try to get the best I can mm-hmm. at football. Mm-hmm. And then the opportunity presents itself. Well, I get drafted where I do. So that's one of the most exciting times of your life. But then you also realize, like, wait a minute. Like, I'm from a small town. went to Auburn. I get drafted to Miami, Florida. When somebody gives me $19 million as the first round pick. In Miami. And I'm like, so what do I do? Like, where do I start? You know, and like you said, I had a financial advisor. I had an agent. But... I didn't even understand the role that they played. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know, like with that, you know, how do you hire a financial advisor? How do you hire an agent? Yeah. It was more of a personality assessment. Like mm-hmm. these guys seem cool, but from a business perspective, I didn't know what questions to ask. What to ask. You know, I don't know what your job description is. Like mm-hmm. I've never had any money. So what does it mean to help me manage? So foundationally, money? did you have like taxes? Like Alec talks about when he got his check, he's like, where's the rest? I didn't even look. Like I didn't look at none of that stuff. Like 
and it's weird to even say it now, but I never, like, coming from that environment, yeah. I never wanted to allow myself to be comfortable, like, uh-huh. to feel like, oh, I've made it. Because it was just like, okay, like, if you do the right thing, you keep your head down, you go to work, everything else will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. You know? But dangerous. That's, You're trusting. Well, and that's you know what that. happens to most guys because you are somewhat afraid of that process and don't mm-hmm. know enough about it. So it's like, well, I just take care of what I can take care of and not even knowing how to be involved. And it's like, okay, I just hopefully do the right things hire some people that I can trust, hopefully, and then they help with that process until you gather enough education and information how to help manage that or how to realize how to put more people or understanding those jobs and responsibilities. But for the most part, most guys, it's that selection process. It's Mm -hmm. not even knowing what that responsibility or obligation is. It's you're a football player. I know how to do this really well. I'm going to do that. And hopefully the people that I meet with, because everybody's getting financial advisor, if I'm Coming after Alec, hey, I, Alec had a financial. I guess I need a financial mm-hmm. advisor. Like, oh, well, all the agents are talking to me. I, I need an agent because that's the process. Mm-hmm. So mechanically, did did literally money just go into a bank account somewhere? And you're like, yeah, all right, here we go. Yep. I never looked at the signing bonus. Like people were like, man, like how did how did if you put? I'm like, I didn't really look. Like I didn't. And that's sad to say now that as you know, a responsible young man. Yeah, but you're 21. But it's like, yeah, like. Looking at it, I was like, my mindset was I just never want to allow myself to feel like I was comfortable enough to not have to work hard or go in. And so, but you had a you had a a reason for not looking. It wasn't just like I ain't gonna look at it, but I know I got it here. And you know, like you said, you want, you didn't want to feel comfortable, so like you doing it, you not looking at it for a reason, right? And you the motivation, yeah, yeah, right. Not necessarily just like, oh, uh, yeah, I made this money. It's here, but I ain't know what to do with it or whatever. Yeah, and I wanted to know. I just, I was somewhat afraid of that process yeah, yeah. of getting comfortable. No, that's true because, I mean, I just know from my experience myself, just like you don't know that process. Like you don't know this person from a can of paint. Like you're like, man, <laughs> now you want me to, you want to represent me? I have never met you. I just met you like a week ago. <laughs> Right, and so it's building that trust. So, I mean, I, I see that, like you say, you see it happen all the time. Was that something where you sat down with them and you just kind of felt comfortable with the person that you? Did you get introduced to them? Was it a referral? Right. Well, it was. I mean, as you know now, like even like we didn't have social media, yeah, yeah. so it was. You know, these guys come around campus, and okay, you know, I asked like for me to Keo Spikes, was okay, kind of yeah. like the older guy, and so. I used to, used to talk to him. He reach out, you yeah. know, and, and kind of was like the big brother kinda figure. Been through it. And so I'm just kind of like, okay, like all these guys that got my phone number and they're calling. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, how do you start this process? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this guy seems cool on the phone. Like, okay, I give you a meeting. Um, but that was really it. And then so then I'm asking Takio, like, hey man, like, you know, I really respect you. Like, who do you have? Like, and you know. That in that situation, that guy reached out. And so I'm like, how is he? Like, is he cool? Um, you know, do you like him? And so there was like three or four guys that I was like, okay, I'm going to take a meeting with him and see who I connect with and see what that looks like. My parents and, you know, people around me are very influential. I'm a big family person. So mm-hmm. I'm like, whoever I choose, you know, they have to meet my parents. Mm-hmm. They have to get a good feel for them. And so those relationships are important. And so that was really how I went through it. But it was more of a a personality assessment than it was mm-hmm. me sitting down and saying, hey, so About what's your job strategy. description? What do you yeah. do? What's that strategy? What is, I knew nothing about how to but, talk but about it. But that's what you knew, stuff. right? And we've had a lot of guests on here. It's that relationship and to Alex's point, the people who can basically who've gone before you and can mm-hmm. say, hey, like here are two or three guys that I trust. Yeah. This this is somebody you can trust. Because unfortunately, so many people just get connected for the reason you just said, yeah, they seem cool. Yeah. You know, not not strategy-based, track record-based, trustworthiness. It's just seems like a good fit. You don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Write a check and, you know, money disappears. Like, I got it. I yeah. got it. Move on. So, I guess, kind of keep moving forward. You got your first deal. Um, Wait, what'd you buy? A range, uh, well, my first purchase was my parents' home. Like, okay. So, I bought them a house. Um, and then, for me, I always, never really been a car person, but I always liked the Range Rover. And so mm-hmm. when I could get a car, because I had a 1996 Honda Accord. Um, <laughs> you could probably still be driving. Still that. drive that it, thing. It'd still be working. Yeah. And so it was, the, and we shared it. Like, 
even when I was in college, like the rule for me when I was in the dorm, like you could take my car, mm -hmm. you just had to bring it back with a full tank of gas. Like that was the rule. So mm -hmm. everybody drive the car. Um, you know, but it was, we shared cars. Like that was the thing. And mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, I get to get a chance to get, get, get a car and get the one that I want. Like that's the one that I want. And it was kind of like one of those things you get it. For sure. I'm not being a car person. So I'm like, all right, it was cool. It was cool. But it wasn't what I thought. I'm like, all right, did that thing, checked it off. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, okay. That's almost everything in life. Almost yeah. everything you like get it and you're like, eh, right. all right, that was cool. You more so enjoyed the, the process of it. Right. I think. Right. <laughs> that was, <laughs> the, the actual... and it, I think it was the freedom of working hard for yeah. something and earning it and then yeah. being able to get it and then say, okay, I appreciated it, but. The expectation is always better than the reality. Right. The expectation of getting yeah. it and that they'll build up beforehand. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Sure. But it's worth it at the end. You yeah. know, you said you got what you wanted. And then, okay, so like I was saying, you signed your first contract, you bought obviously you bought your mom a house. Were you thinking about like stuff outside of football at the time? On on like your first deal? And then, you know, if so, what were those things that you were thinking about? Or was it just strictly like uh, I'm gonna put my money in the bank account over here, and I'm gonna go just play football, and I'm gonna, you know, that little off season you have a couple months, like yeah, I'll see what my financial people are talking about, you know, for a little while, and if it get done during the, if something you know kind of happens, you know, during the during that off season, you know, it happens, but most of the times, like I see it, and then football season comes, you just shut it off again. Yeah, right? I mean, I didn't even know. Like, it was just really drinking through a fire hose. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, with the process, you know, like, when you get out of school, you go train, do mm -hmm. combine, do OTAs, yeah. do mini camp, do training camp, the season starts. Yeah. So it's everything just kind of taking it in all at once. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, with that, I'm like, I don't even know what to expect. I just want to be as good as I can in football. For and sure. so, you know, it's like, okay, as a first-round pick, these are expectations. So, like, I just need to put all my time and energy in that. That was another part of the reason I didn't look like mm -hmm. the financial stuff. I'm like, I don't need a lot. Like, I don't really go out and hang out a lot, you know, experienced and enjoyed it. But for me, it was I want to be successful in terms of football and the offseason. Trying to figure that out. And you try to look at other guys and see, hey, what are you going to do this yeah. offseason? You know, but it's trying to formulate that plan. But you don't really know. Yeah. It's, it's everything's all new. And so. Like, what do I do in the offseason? Do I stay here in Miami? Do I go back to yeah. Atlanta? Do I work out? Do I train? Do I go back to Arizona and train? Like, what does that look like in terms of formulating that plan? And not having somebody to really walk you through that, that's, that's going through it, time. Is, is, you know, a challenge. And it's, you know, that first time in the first offseason, yeah, it's yeah. like, what do I do? When do I stop working out? How long yeah. do I not work out? How long do I, you know, give myself the to recover? The teams don't have a, I guess I would envision, right? Like, the teams want you to be best prepared for the following year. There's not like a plan where they're like, hey, guys, here's what we'd suggest. Nutrition, fitness, you know, recovery. This is what you should be doing your body in the offseason. That's not part of the package that they're sending you home with, I guess. No, you have hurdles and you have like responsibilities like, hey, you, this is your weight when you come yeah. back. You know, so you have to report at this. They give you a offseason workout plan. But in terms of the details, that's the part of being a professional that not so many you. people talk to you about. And it's like, well, how do I, you know, as a young man, be a professional? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I At establish that? You know, and there's no how-to manual of, well, you got this money. Do you take a trip? Do you enjoy it? Do you go home? Do you do you get an apartment here in this city? Do you go and what are you training? And so, so what were you thinking? Like, what, what was your mindset? Just all the over the place. It's like, well, what do I do? And luckily for me, you know, those veteran guys were Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, Junior Seau, um, and just kind of trying to, I believe, like, success leaves clues. And so trying to find people that have been successful on that level, but you also— You need to say that again. Success, what, success leaves clues? Yeah, you need to say that again so yeah. folks hear that. Tony Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's so, a Tony Robbins one. <laughs> yeah, so it's—and so you look at that stuff, and you try to figure out how does that work for you or how do you implement some of those things— um, but you just don't know. And it's mm -hmm. that year one. That's why it's really important having the right people around you who understand your, you know, situation in terms of how things work. And it changes, you know, based on family dynamic, mm -hmm. based on, you know, where you come from. Like some guys, it's hard to go back home because 
you've kind of outgrown that or, you know, you in a different situation. And mm -hmm. so you need to make sure from a responsibility standpoint, like how do you continue giving yourself the tools to be successful? And, you know, it's, you know, I think a lot to navigate through for a young man with a lot of new money, with a new situation and trying to be successful in a career that really doesn't last that long. Even if it does last, what, 15 years or so, you're still relatively young in life, like mm -hmm. 35 years old. So you got another. Now almost nobody's doing that. Yeah, 35 years to live. Like, so you haven't even done this for That's half of fact. your lifetime. So, you know, it's a lot to to digest, you know, at once when you don't really have a how-to. So if you think about your career in the NFL, and, and you played eight years, nine years, yeah. 10? Yeah. Okay, so you played 10 years. in the, So as a running back, 10 years in the league is forever, right? Yeah. I mean, Alec always told me NFL not for long, which I nah. get. You guys put yourself through. <laughs> but, so you had you had an incredible career, Pro Bowl player. You, you made 30-ish, if you look online, right? And career Hypothetically, yeah, with pre-tax pre and pre-lifestyle and pre-fees and agents. And, yeah, yeah. People don't understand. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taxes. Taxes is a big start of it. I, I didn't understand when we started the podcast. You guys are paying tax in every state you play which you played in Florida for at least half the season for a while in your career, but then you played in California, which is another story. Um, but, you know, you're paying tax in every one of those states. You're getting smoked on that and you're W-2 employees. Yeah. So you don't have a lot of ways to help shield the income that you guys are earning, which is challenging. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's interesting. And even now, like a lot of guys don't understand that, like from a tax implication, like what does that look like? you know, W-2 versus 1099, like, and then you start even talking about credit scores and all these things. And it's all new to a lot of young men that, you know, come from certain backgrounds and, you know, socioeconomic upbringing. Like, it's just, it's just new information. Sure. So you pair that with, wait a minute, and you want me to be successful in this field and you want me to manage my time, you know, I think to the best of my ability, because I come out of college where pretty much all my day was structured. Mm -hmm. If you got out of point where you passed study hall, then it was like, okay, I know I got to go to class. Mm -hmm. My classes are all in the morning, so afternoons can be dedicated to football to where four o'clock, you're done for the day, and I'll see done. you tomorrow. Um, you know, and so trying to manage that stuff. And so it's a lot that goes into it that, you know, people don't think about. You see them on Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays now, but, you know, managing all of that and trying to manage the business of self now, um, it's a lot because you become the CEO of your business. And when did you start to think about that? Like, when did you start to think about, I love what you just said, the business of self. I've never heard that before, but you're right. Like you, Ronnie Brown and Alec Ogletree are running the business of them, right? Mm -hmm. Football's part of it, but then they got the whole other part of it yeah. to make sure that they can take those earnings and, and support themselves, their families, whomever. Yeah. When did you start to think about that? Was that like a shift in either maturity age or did somebody else say, hey, Ronnie, yeah, football, yeah. but there's there's going to be a beyond the game. Yeah, it's a gradual process, and it's just tied to who you're tied to, who you're connected to, and who you can learn, who you can get information from. Like, I try to encourage young guys to talk to veterans who they see are doing things the right way, um, but then it's your team around you, those agents, those advisors, you know, what does your family structure look like? How do they pour into you? How do you, you know, do you have any mentors? Um and you got to be open to receiving the information. But for me personally, it was just trying to watch. And it was just gradual. It's like, oh, this guy does this. This guy does this. Like, you know, and coming off an injury in 2007 where I tear my ACL, it's like, wait a minute. What if this don't work out? Like, what if this mm -hmm. is it? Like, um, then you start thinking about a lot of things. And even during that time period, like where all the phone calls stop and you rehabbing by yourself and, you're like, man, wait a minute. Like, if all this stuff goes down the drain, like, what does that look like? And it's, you know, you start Alex, reevaluating. Alex says, but I'm still me. I'm still me. Like, I'm still me, but they don't care. Like, yeah. hey. It's like them phone calls <laughs> They stop ain't coming, yeah. Nobody checking on you. Nobody calling for tickets. And at that time, you know, a lot of guys deal with that. It's like, wait a minute. Like, you really got to face reality. Like, if this is it, like, what else or who else am I outside of this game? Um mm -hmm. And a lot of guys can't answer that question, especially early on. But you're asking somebody to do that when, how old were you? So you did it 2007, Seven, you said? Yeah. But you're, you're 24, right? Yeah. 23, 24? Yeah. You're asking someone to to ask pretty deep philosophical questions at an age where 
you know, 24 yeah. year olds usually aren't thinking like that. Yeah. And the challenge is, I think, with, sorry about that, like, it's in society, we assume that financial success equals responsibility. Like, yeah. And so young men get paid a lot of money, but we assume that because of their financially being successful, that they're yeah. also responsible. We forget mm-hmm. the age of a lot of these guys. It's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. Like, if you give anybody a large amount of money at this age, there's going to be some mistakes, especially if there's no guidance, direction, understanding, or education. Like, And so I think we tend to forget that. And it's just like, oh, well, you got a professional career. It's like, yeah, but I'm 23, 23 years old trying to manage a business and be a CEO of a company of myself where I'm making millions, but trying to figure out how to do everything the right way. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a tall task for, you know, a lot of people that don't come from great structures or upbringing. I think it's why we're here, right? I mean, this is this is part of the conversation that Alec and I had was, well, let's, let's try to put something together where that 23-year-old who's ready, yeah. you know, who's ready to hear it, has a community of people he can tap into or an episode of Ronnie Brown saying, hey, success leaves clues, right? And maybe that's the thing he takes away and he's like, all right, you know, there's a guy in my locker room who's doing it right. I'm going to go follow him. Um, I mean, that's the the crazy part to me. Alex, 31, he just retired, yeah. right? I, I, I'm 43. You're almost my age, but most people make all their money 35 to 60. Right. You guys made the most of your money or the, the biggest earning power in your professional sports career is from 20 to 30, which is insane. No one knows what to do with money when you're 24, right? Yeah. You're, everybody's a clown. Yeah. And especially if you don't have that foundational knowledge to come up with you. That for me, when we started talking about it and all the guys said the same thing, they're like, we just don't know. Yeah. And it's and it's a challenge because you have a lot of people telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you how to do it. Like it's like, oh, well, they ain't teaching you, really. you do this. And it's like, OK, but how do I do this? Yeah. Like 23 years old, I just came off a of college campus where I get to go buy my first house and I get to do that. Mm-hmm. And I got to look at interest rates and I got to look at you know, comps and knowing... You get a mortgage. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Like, (laughs) most people don't do that in their 20s. And so that's something that usually have grown into, Mm -hmm. you know, you get a start at home and, you know, 30s and 40s, you may get that dream home. Whereas you come out of college, you have the bandwidth to buy your dream home and Mm -hmm. get your dream car without even understanding what that is to have a mortgage and, you know, how to qualify and going through a real process. Those are things that you don't go through. Mm Mm-hmm. No, for sure. So, I guess um, next question would be: as you going through, so I guess usually, or I guess you kind of said it too. But my question was going to be like, what what transpired in your career that forced you to be like that? That forced you to be like, man, you know what? Now, well, now you're at UBS as an FA and all this stuff, right? And so what, I guess, was that something that you started doing while you were playing, still playing, or was there something that you kind of transitioned into, you know, after you got done playing, you just kind of was like, okay. Now, man, it's, um, you know, and it was, for me, it was more serendipitous discovery because Mm -hmm. I never planned on being, you know, in wealth management and having a role, it was just forced by, you know, going through that process mm-hmm. myself and realizing I didn't understand it. And so that was the biggest challenge for me is like, how do I do this? But then going through that, I also realized like, wait a minute, there's so many guys like myself who don't know about this process. Mm-hmm. So how can I not only educate and learn about it myself, but then also help other people do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of the motivation came from. It was, okay, like this is something that you need to know. Um, For me, it was just early in my career. I don't want to be one, I don't want to be one of those stories that we read about. Mm -hmm. But then how do I not be one of those stories? I don't know. So now I got to start trying to find that information. Um, And so luckily pursuing that, being around the right people and really just getting lucky because sometimes you just, don't know. Like, I don't know who to go to, and, mm-hmm. you know, and so just trying to find that information and looking at younger guys and some of my college teammates and, you know, other guys in the locker room that you see, unfortunately, we make these mistakes and these decisions or, you know, I wouldn't even say mistakes. I say missteps. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so trying to figure out how to do those things without any guidance, it's like, okay, like, 
how do I position myself? And so luckily through all of that and acquiring that information and personal experiences, mm-hmm. it's just, okay, here is where I am, you know, and it became more of a purpose. And part of that was too what I spared, it's like shared about my upbringing. I never mm-hmm. really was a, a huge football guy, like yeah, NFL, yeah. like watching sports. I was the exact much. same way. And so it was more, I knew like for me, sports was my escape and my yeah. opportunity. And so I kind of used it as my transportation, not my de- destination, because mm-hmm. um, I knew it wasn't the end goal. And so it was like, okay, how do I use this to get into what I would like to be doing or, you know, more of that purpose? And yeah. so I felt like it was just a natural gravitation of I went through these experiences. I feel that I can kind of navigate and help other guys through that same situation. What's like, what, What's the misstep that you're talking about? So when you talk about some of the missteps that young guys make, and I'm sure you made them, yeah. I, I've certainly made them on my side. What's the best one? Um, what's, what's the worst investment or one of those missteps <laughs> that somebody else can listen to and say, I'm not going to do that? Yeah. So it's, I mean, like I said, like getting out of school, getting to Miami, um, you know, signing a signing most for $19 million at 22, 23 years old. You know, I went out and I bought a diamond gold grill. Like it was all <laughs> diamonds. And it was, I didn't even wear it that yeah. much. Like for at first, like I wore it and I couldn't keep my mouth closed. <laughs> Um, what you spend on that? I think it was about probably about fifteen twenty thousand, like for a grill. And it was, you know, and it was one of those things, just not knowing, but being in the environment, being, mm-hmm. you know, I think in the locker room of okay, you have this money, but like, how do you manage it? How do you steward this yeah. without that? And you seeing guys. Usually in the locker rooms, the ones that are most influential have the worst habits because they mm-hmm. have some of the nicest stuff. So it's like, okay, well, you got girl. drafted in the first round, and then you got family telling you, man, you got drafted, you got money, you need to get this. And you're like, maybe I do. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, you Wait, know, some I'm, of those I'm things naive. happen. What, is a grill like a mouthpiece that sits on your teeth? Yeah, pretty much. So just top and bottom. Is I just had a bottom. It was all, well, you go in, you get a mold, and then they mold it, and then they put the diamonds in the mold. So it's a mouthpiece. I mean, it's just like wearing a mouthpiece, but it's just golden diamonds. To some degree. To some degree, yeah. And then what do you, so you just wear it around to be flashy, and then that night you take it out and put it next to your, like, it's like dentures. You take it out and put it on your nightstand. <laughs> yeah. So you, is yeah. that what you do? <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you know, and it's, and and it's some of those things, too, like, understanding, like, coming from those break? environments. Do you still have it? It's in a safe somewhere because I can't do anything you with it. You should have wore it here. What am I? You I can't even the watch. I can't even fit it anymore. Watch and then teeth ain't even the same. Yeah, though. I done got my teeth like, <laughs> like, and it's kind of like one of those things. Like you look at it and you're like, boy, that was dope. But it's also a reminder <laughs> yeah. of what you know, was at that, that time too. Yeah, that evolution part mm-hmm. of it. Of golly, that was dope. That's wait. That's the worst investment you made. You still have it. That's not even that bad. Yeah, but I can't do anything with it. Probably sell it to who? Who wants my? I don't know. Scrap. Yeah, now you know you're in the Hall of Fame now. They, yeah, that's hey. right. Georgia Hall of Famer grill. Yeah. So on it's eBay. Just, you know, it's just certain things that you don't. But that's realize. that's the yeah. that's the worst thing you lost money on. Yeah, and I probably lost you know a pair of earrings at practice. Oh. Um, you know, he told grand. you he was very conservative. Man. He did say that from the beginning. I just was scared. That's but no, like that was I invest in a restaurant, Ponzi scheme. No, I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I was okay. more scared of that stuff. Like that mm-hmm. was like with the jewelry, it was more of a okay, I know I like this stuff. Probably shouldn't have gotten it. But yeah, with all of that stuff, I'm still small town, really cautious. Like and so a lot of that stuff I don't know about. So I tend to kind of stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And so even with the younger, I'm telling them, if you don't know something, just don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't know anything, just don't do anything. You can't do anything. Al talked about it, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, you are a professional athlete, so you're looked upon as you know what you're doing. You just got a ton of money. And so Al talked about a story with him personally where he's like, I got this. I, I know how this works. I tried to invest in the suit company. <laughs> I didn't have my whole suit. <laughs> and you didn't even like, you ne- knew, what, did you sew? Did you... No, I ain't did. I, did I haven't sew? done none of Is that what he just said? Yeah. Did you sew? I'm just saying, so, like, what's the, so what the, the gravitation to the suit company? Like, So what happened was, like, this was 2017, 16, something like that. And uh, basically, this suit guy came and my, actually, my, one of my, the agency I was with one time before, and they end up 
sending me this guy that made suits with her, right? And he basically was like, you know, I want to gift you a suit. You know how people just send you stuff with yeah. that. So he basically gets me a suit or whatever. And then he was like, man, I want to do it for like the whole team or whatever. So basically we got I got him to do it for the whole team. Gave everybody a suit, right? So we kind of like started building this relationship, whatever, like cool, whatever. He came, hung out with us and everything. Like just, you know, I'm like, okay, dude, cool, whatever. We didn't really talk like no business at the time, but I get traded to New York, right? Get traded to New York and end up, uh, I remember one day, I, he called, he's like, man, okay, listen, got this like business idea, you know, we start your own suit. Like, like, I had tree. made, I made a whole lot of little inland and everything, like logos and all this stuff, right? <laughs> and end up, uh, it was like, okay, it costs like $250,000 to basically get it started and whatever we need, right? So again, at, at that point, I'm like, I ain't, I didn't even tell nobody. Like, I didn't run it through my people or whatever. I'm just like, okay, this. yeah, I got this. Like, yeah. he cool. Like, he, it, nothing, nothing's going to go wrong with it. End up, uh, I swear, I gave Roland a check, and it went two weeks later. <laughs> the NFL sent an email out like, this dude's a, a con artist. He's this, that, and other. You know, all of this. He's just stuff. laughing, Ronnie, because it was Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Money gone. It's unfortunate. You hear, I mean, and you hear a lot of those stories. Money like, gone. Yeah. But but I think, but what Alex said that really stuck with me was like, I got this. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're the man. I yeah. mean, you're, you're a professional athlete at the top of your career making a bunch of money. It's hard to let the ego or not let the ego kind of cloud your judgment. Like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. For sure. And, and to your point, Ronnie, I think that's where having the people and the team and in Alex's situation, he didn't consult anybody. Your wife. You said you did ask your wife. I did. Well, and she thought it was a terrible idea. Yeah, she was against it the whole time. And I just, just went I just went on there, being hard headed. Yeah. Being hard headed. It was gonna be a nice suit though. <laughs> did you well, at least get an extra suit out of it? Man, yeah, I got I got all I still got the suits. You can't I, wear them suits. No I know. I, like they wild. <laughs> no, nah, they were all tailored to me and everything. It was tailored suits. Like, everything was... Ogletree yeah, brand. The Ogletree. Yeah, it was going to be nice. And got me. Went to the Bahamas on you. I don't know where he went. Wait, the best part, <laughs> Alex, I tell him, I he reached back out. He, he reached, reached back out to Alex and was like, I hope we still be boys. Maybe like a year later, you're like, what's up, brother? Or something like that. I hope I can still call you brother. Or something like that. Like, you call me whatever you want to. Come on over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring me running that check back. That's <laughs> all. So, you know what I mean? Ronnie, but, what was the other end of that spectrum? What was the best investment you made? I have two parts of that question. Financially, what was the best investment you made knowingly or not? Maybe it was your financial advisor. Um, I, I t Even like now, I tell the guys, some of the best investments that I made was the ones that I didn't make. Um, because you get so many people coming at you. Um, and there was a few, you know, people that I had interviewed that just kind of looking at that I didn't go with. And I'm like, oh, that guy went to prison. That guy went to prison. Really? And she went to prison. Like, and it was, it, that was the best thing. It's like, golly. Those like, were advisors that, or who, who were those people? Yeah, so it was three. So, wow. um, and a lot of those people, like, motivating factors for me even, you know, doing what I do because of that and seeing how. You know, you get recruited and how all of those things happen, but they mm -hmm. don't have the best interest outside of that. Sure. And then you see the aftermath of it. And then, you know, guys can't recover from situations like that. And so you get hurt, right? I'm, you guys were lucky to have a long-standing career, but, you know, 2007, that could have been it. Yeah. And if you had made a bad decision at that point, you know, yeah. that's it. Sure. Yeah. So w was there, from a financial mindset in the playing career, and then I want to transition to what you're doing now because I think yeah. the pivot's been incredible. But did you think about a number? Did you and your financial advisor, a couple of guys we talked to had said like, hey, get me to 5 million and then I can create a passive income stream for you that, you know, basically you can live off the rest of your life and we never touch the principal. Was there, in your mind, was there ever a goal to say, hey, I'm trying to get to X? No, because I wasn't, I didn't understand it enough that much. Um, and so I wasn't even thinking post-career, I need this amount of money to live off of. And, you know, having a withdrawal rate or a burn rate of this, it was more so of, I just hope I'm doing the right thing. So when I retire, I put myself in position to be okay and have a sustainable lifestyle. Not that, you know, I'm not a flashy person, but 
you just hope you're doing the right so, thing. So for the girl. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and even with that, like even with earrings, like I probably haven't worn like really like earrings and all of that stuff since 2008, nine. Like, um, and so it's just, you know, I think as you grow and you learn and you say, okay, like those things were missteps. And luckily, like you said, I was able to recover from doing dumb stuff like that. But um, it's really just, it's really on you that mm-hmm. has a, like, and I think that's if we were a lot more honest with a lot of these young men and say, listen, man, when you get to college from this point on, everything that you do is performance based and everything that happens to you after this point is dictated by how well you perform, mm-hmm. whether that's draft, college. Cause that's life. And that's outside of professional sports too, right? Like my world is performance yeah. based. Investors invest with us because we do well. If yeah. we don't do well, they don't invest with us. And that's the challenge now. Cause we don't, we're not as honest with a lot of, and you know, if I go in a locker room now and I ask mm-hmm. guys like, man, how many of you guys think you're going to make it to the NFL with the exception of, you know, maybe a couple guys that don't get much playing time may walk on a little bit. And so with that exception, like probably the majority of guys are going to raise their hand, not knowing that, Hey man, it's really only 1% of you guys that will make it or get an opportunity. But even beyond that, it's probably 1% of the 1% mm-hmm. will make enough to where you can live the rest of your life mm-hmm. off this money. And we're not, realistic and it's not about shooting dreams but it's like hey man like let's just be realistic with this opportunity and kind of have real hard conversation because I think that's where you know the disappointments happen is when you're not realistic with the opportunity mm-hmm. so you finished in 2014 that was my last season yeah and transitioned to financial advising at that point did you know that was the path you were going no I just so during that early part of my process, I wanted to start acquiring that information. So I was like, man, where do I start? I don't know anybody in my immediate circle mm-hmm. who's even had enough money. Whereas, you know, opening up and asking those questions, um, you know, and there was probably people that I could have asked, but, you know, just really being fearful of not knowing. And part of it is the ego of like, who do you go say, hey, mm-hmm. I don't really know this. Can you help me mm-hmm. out? Um, was your so, financial advisor that guy? Um, To some degree, but it wasn't. It's it's weird. Like, it wasn't one of them conversations that, like, the relationship, it wasn't that I'm like, hey, man, like, like How do I teach do me do? this business. Like, that wasn't something that, you know, I was mature enough to do, I think. Yeah. And so— Most people, no, nah, you're just not going to have that conversation with them like that. Right. Like, teach me this business. Um, unless there's a pre-existing relationship and somebody's been in the family. But more times than not, the new relationship, you're not mature enough to say— hey, listen, I don't know this business. Can you teach me this business? Um, and so that takes a lot. But then in the other end of it, early in my career, so I was like, okay, how do I chase this information? So I got lucky and got around a group of guys and we started a community bank. For me, it was an investment. Wait, um, what's that mean? A community bank, meaning like you guys funded a local bank? Yeah. And so when you say a group of guys, other players? No, so it was a guy from my hometown who was a doctor who had some relationships with people in South Florida. Um, and then I think the mayor of the time of South Florida, or of Fort Lauderdale, a couple other business guys, a couple restaurant owners, a couple different guys. One guy was in banking. Um, and we got together and we started a community bank. I had zero idea what was happening. But for me, it was, you know, it was an investment, but it was, I get to acquire this information and be around mm-hmm. business people and needs. get information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that time, I learned that, hey, wait a minute, like this information isn't so intricate that I can't learn it. It's just, I've never had exposure or access to it. And so that was really the catalyst. I'm like, man, I like this stuff. Um, and so- just, And that was while you were playing? Yeah. Okay. And so just doing that, it kind of led to and sparked this whole transition and then being in that, that I didn't know that. And then seeing guys come in the locker room and saying, wait a minute, I'm not the only, it's guys every day that struggle with this. that don't even know it, mm-hmm. um, but we don't know how to address it. Um, we don't have those conversations mm-hmm. in the locker room. And so I was like, hmm. So in 2014, you know, as you get older, like, cause I did the same thing, like with guys, you're doing your benefits and it's like, Hey man, what did you pick? What did you choose? Like, you mean and, like health insurance? Like when you say benefits, you mean like health yeah, insurance? Yeah, like NFL disability. benefits, okay. your 401k, like with the allocations for mm-hmm. investments, like all that. you like, man, wait a minute. Like, hey, man, older guy, like help me out. Mm-hmm. Like, what'd you pick? So that was kind of how it happened. So then at that point, I kind of 
was that guy sometimes in the locker room. Guys were coming to you. And I'm like, I really don't know. It's just this is what I'm doing. Yeah, this is yeah. what I've been doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so in that transition, it was like, okay, what do I do now? Like, yeah. That first year, like retiring, I'm like, okay, I know I want to do something else, but how do I? A guy that didn't go to school for finance. like At that point, did you have enough money to never work again? Yeah, I was fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then it was like, I had a son at that time uh, who's my oldest. He's 10 now. Uh, but even at that, I was like, it wasn't, like I said earlier, like football wasn't it for me. So I knew I wanted to do something else. I just didn't know how to get into finance. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to school for finance. And so that was going to be a big hurdle. Um, and so I leaned on the easy thing is I met a guy at a golf tournament. Um, <laughs> and then he's like, hey, man, would you be interested in doing some radio? And I was like, sure. And so I started doing some radio down at Auburn in the fall. That was my way of getting out of the house. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, play man, by play or color man yeah. in the game. So I'm like, yeah, so I do sideline and I do, you know, sideline reporter. But I'm like, what do I do? Like, yeah. that was just to get out of the house and have that escape and yeah, do yeah. something. Um, and then so I had the conversation with my financial advisor at the time. I was like, hey, man, like, what would it look like if I were to try to get into this business? And so, you know, it was kind of like, <laughs> and he was like, no, are you serious? I was like, no, I'm serious. Like, what would it look like? And so, we started having conversations. I talked to the manager. He's like, hey, man, we, you know, this is something that's doable. I'm like, oh, perfect. And so what does that look like? And so typically timelines, like most people who go to school for finance, you know, they license registrations in the first six months or so. Mm-hmm. I'm like, as the competitive part of me, I'm like, wait a minute, six months? Six months it is. Like, I'll try it. Like, and so. That's easy. Yeah. So I dropped my son off um, in the mornings uh, to pre-K and then. I go in and study, like I lock myself in the room for a few hours. And then six months later, I had to drive over to Athens and I'm in there with a bunch of college athletes taking, you know, my licensing yeah. exam, um, do that and then do another exam and do. Is that for like CFA or? So that was CFP? my uh, series seven. Okay. Um, and then I took the 66. And then by that time now I'm back in test taking mode because I have been out of school since 04. And that was like 2018 uh, at the beginning of 2018 for that. And so. Then I'm like, okay, well, life, accident, health insurance, because people say you need to get this while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, perfect. And then so just doing all of those things um, and then just kind of like navigating through and then trying to figure out even, you know, through this layer of the land, like what that looks like. Like, because it was, ain't gonna lie, I probably would never, and I usually tend to say never, but I never want to take those exams again. Because yeah. it was just <laughs> the timing of it. But for me, coming from the world that I come from, like in that, I didn't even understand the the verbiage and the language. And so I have Investopedia open on one side. Then I have my computer trying to break down the sentences on the other side to study. Mm. And so, because a lot of the acronyms, the wording, I'm like, I didn't know it. Like, it's a I different know. language. And so, you know, it was going through that process, which was like really humbling. And it was, you know, it was a challenge. And But come out on the other end, I was like, okay, cool. Like, and so got it. it just felt good to come out of that and being, you know, you get that label as an athlete and then being recognized and then go challenge yourself to do something that, you know, I guess is, is considered difficult to be able to manage that. It was you know, good for you. So it's it not cool. easy to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a complete pivot of who you are, right? Your whole life to that point, like you said, it wasn't always football, but, but that's who you were. Yeah. You were a football player. Yeah, and I didn't know what I was getting into. That was yeah. the other thing, like having to take that leap of faith or yeah. coming out of a 10-year NFL career, being a former first-round draft pick, number two pick, to starting from the bottom of trying a new profession, not even knowing that, you know, if I'm going to pass these exams or what that looks like. But yeah, man, so it was it was a challenge just but even I think, in that. But I think you guys, you underestimate how valuable the skill set you have, which is— the, the grind, Alec just mentioned it, right? Like what you do, what you did for a living is incredibly hard. And the only way you got through it was you put the work in. I mean, you yeah. guys are God-gifted talent as well, but but you worked alongside of it. And that's no different in anything mm-hmm. is, I mean, I could work really hard. I'm never gonna be a professional football player, <laughs> but that skill set is transferable to everything. If you yeah. wanna learn finance, but I think the point you're making is you have to go get it. It doesn't yeah. just happen. You know, like that's the piece that I think most people miss in everything is like, well, I want this. It's like, okay, well, yeah. here's how you do it. Now go put the work in for a few years. And, you know, that people only see the end point. They're like, I want to do that. It's right. Like, well, you got to grind first. 
you know, you have to put your 10,000 hours in to be that expert. Right. You know, so it was, I mean, it was, it was a great experience. You know, I'm happy I did it. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, this is my purpose. I think that's the reason I went through everything that I went through and going through that pathway. But, um, you know, none of it's been easy, but it said, like you said, I mean, everything worth doing is probably going to be difficult. Um, and so now it's just, okay, like continuing to grow and evolve. And I think that's the, you know, the message, even talking to a lot of the young guys, the same thing, like, don't be scared to take chances in terms of who you are outside of being an athlete. Cause I think that's what that you do, from, but that's Ryan? not who Where's you are. Where's that come from? from? I put that guard down. Yeah. I put that guard down and be vulnerable and really have that honest, true conversation with yourself. Like, man, I don't know this. I need to find this help. Like, yeah. <laughs> go ask. Where, where does that come from it. for you? Because not everybody's got it, right? Yeah, I think a lot of my—it's my upbringing, like, in the community that I grew up in and my parents and my godparents. Like, it was just—I don't know, just realizing, even just the last couple of years, it's been more of accepting who you are, um, but also be willing to grow, like, in that and not being scared of— You know, I think a lot of times we allow people to label us, like, mm-hmm. whether it's an athlete or non-athlete, it's— oh, well, you're good at this one thing. This is what I know you for. That's all you can do. And a lot of times you can tell because it's reflective of the community you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, well, Alec, you were the best athlete growing up. I knew you were going to be an athlete, but then you tell them, well, I'm a business owner mm-hmm. and I do these other things. Like, wait a minute. Like, you get confused. How do you? And so <laughs> I think trying to, I, I, I tend to think of it in my mind as finding that and what. Like, well, yeah, I was an NFL athlete, but and what? Like, and so now I'm in wealth management, but, wealth management, but what else? Like, and what? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mentor, you know, high school guys, like, but and what? And so not being afraid to just continue to grow. And I think it's just how I grew up um, and just, you know, that being a big part of who I am and, you know, really embracing it over the last few years of saying, okay, man, like not allowing yourself to be labeled for this one thing. Most definitely. No, um, I mean, I think your story is, definitely very helpful and, and and empowering to a lot of people that are listening and watching. Um, you know, we won't take up too much more of your time here with uh, questions and stuff, but uh, I guess kind of my last, one of my last questions to ask, what is something that you would tell a younger person now, your younger self or, you know, dudes like, obviously you say you mentor, right? you know, kids and stuff. So what is what is like the kind of piece that you really want them to grasp from when you're mentoring them as much? I, I think the big thing is, and it's the misconception is people say, don't change. Yeah. Like, man, you better change. Yeah. Don't be afraid to evolve yeah. um, and try new things. And I think that's the biggest part of it is, you know, I'm a big quote person, but it's like the people who fit in, read about the people who stood out. Mm. Um, and so you got to be willing mm. to That's a good stand one. out and chase your dreams, mm-hmm. you know? Because um, I, I think we all hear it, like the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You're mm-hmm. going to have one of them. And so I think just realizing that and saying, okay, man, this thing is really worth chasing. Like, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's not about failure. It's just about learning experiences, learning, learning opportunities. Like, man, listen, like, you can fail your way up. Like, you know, just make sure you don't make the same mistake twice. For sure. So use it as a learning tool and, you know, not being afraid to chase those things, you know. And a lot of times it's the fear of being associated with that. Man, that didn't work. Now they're going to, it's like, man, people you do, do that all the time. Um, You know, and you hear it on the business All the side. time. Like, man, my first business didn't work. The second one didn't work. Then all of a sudden, like, you know, Click. that was it. And so, <laughs> you know, you just never know. And that was even with me, like, in the transition of that was one of the hard things that I had to deal with. Because, you know, there are a lot of no's when you go into people. And a lot of times you feel like, hey, man, these people close with me. Like, they're going to they gonna work with me. And it's like, nah. nah. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I had to reconfigure my brain to think of it. It's not a no, it's just a not right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe it's, you know, frequency-wise, like, it wasn't meant to be, but mm-hmm. the people that are meant to be for you, they'll be. And so, um, you know, I think getting comfortable with that and mm-hmm. not expecting easy, but dealing with difficult a little bit more, mm-hmm. a little bit better. I got two more questions. One, resource-wise, what would you tell people? What's the best resource you've used? Book, it could be online, it could be a course. What 
what would you look back and say, hey, this was for me a catalyst to help me think the way that I'm thinking today? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I try to, I'm not a like an avid reader. I do a lot of audio books now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was two things that I think that played a huge role in that. And part of it is like, you don't have to be an Auburn fan, but it's the Auburn creed. Like if you just read the language and the verbiage of it, um, that was that. And then it's a poem by Linda Ellis called The Dash. Um, the Dash. It's just, and it, it, you know, to kind of sum it up, it's like, what do you want to be, want to be remembered for? Like mm-hmm. in that dash, because I know we always talk about, you know, the first number and the last number, but what happens in between that time? Like how impactful can you be as a person? And so I think that's what I'm chasing is the impact to see if I can impact as many people that, you know, have had an impact on me. I'm not going to ask the second question because that was a great way to finish. Great. The dash. Yeah. The Ellis. Thank you, Ronnie. No, I Great story. It. Appreciate you spending the time with us today. No, what can they, well, before we go, but what can, if, you know, people want to reach out to you and get in contact with you, what can we? I mean, social media. Uh, Instagram. Instagram. 23 Brown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Instagram. It's not X now. I oh, X. X. Yeah, X. sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, and then you guys too. Yeah. Like, if they get in contact with you guys, you yeah. know how to get in contact with me, so. For sure. Yes, thank sir. you, Ronnie. No, appreciate I appreciate it. it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Game. Please like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms. It really helps others find the show. And a special shout out to Open Heart Media who helps with the production. Check them out at openheartmediaco.com. 